Hi, it's Michelle Turner from Movement Lesson. This is Movement 4.0 from Babies to Astronauts. Whether you want to move on this planet or others, Movement 4.0 from Babies to Astronauts offers you new and exciting insights on gravity, space, and all that happens in between. This is episode 17. In this episode, we're going to be covering how our breathing actually works here on Earth, as well as the complications and how our breathing would work in outer space in microgravity situations. I'm Michelle Turner, creator of Movement Lesson. Many of you know me from my work with special children. From my clinic in Phoenix, Arizona, I'm traveling and teaching around the world, and I wanted to reach out with you with my new theories of gravity and felt a podcast would be a great way to connect with you. I also have my new book out, You Can't Get to Mars Without Me, The Rules of Gravity, and we are covering all the aspects within that book here in the podcast. You Can't Get to Mars Without Me was written to articulate my concerns about getting us to Mars and back or anywhere else there is, because I don't think we look at movement all that well. We look at gravity, we look at movement completely separate, and we look at evaluating people based off of their physical prowess, based off of external range of motion techniques or muscle-based responses rather than system-based responses. And we have to look at how our systems work within gravity, because that's how we organize all our movements and where those movements came from. And breathing is kind of on the top of the list. We're all looking for another place that is converting oxygen or can make oxygen. Oxygen and water are very important to what we breathe in, but it's how we breathe. Now that's where the good stuff comes. The human body is meant to breathe on a vacuum-based. It's not a muscle-based function. Although we are capable of inhaling and exhaling at controlled measures once we've mastered the skills. I like. I mean, I can't ask a little infant to hold their breath for four seconds and let that go. I remember once my son was really sick and they wanted him to swallow steroids versus inhale them. He had eosinophilic esophagitis. And I looked at them and said, you know, I have a special needs son and how is he going to swallow an intake or a puff versus inhaling it. And they're like, man, we can teach one and a half year old babies to do that. And I said, well, I'd like to see that too. You know, I'd like to see you teach my son. Breathing has always been a thing because my son had chronic breath. So it became, you know, life or death kind of situation dealing with various forms of aspiration and infections. And like I said, eosinophils in places where they're not meant to be. But that is looked at as medical-based. So when somebody can't do something like that, it's always looked at that they have a medical or neurological problem and it's not about the body and it's not about the brain in that aspect. And through my years of just working on so many people from athletes all the way down to to pretty compromised little munchkins, um, I disagree. And my findings say so and, and the data that I'm collecting on my in my office, my clinic. When we are going to breathe, our breath is very important. Yes, it is. But breath is based off of a vacuum based. And it's also a non-conscious life force, meaning you really don't think about if you're breathing right now. Now, I know we've covered this in other podcasts, but I want to go into a bit more of the anatomy part of it. When you are starting to breathe, uh, the breath goes into the soft palate. You close your mouth. You inhale, and the soft palate of the mouth and nasal cavity responds to that breath. This draw or breath creates a sort of a downward drag into the soft palate, and at the same time, it will bring up the diaphragm. 
That again is when you're not even thinking of breath. That's how the breath happens. And this expands the chest in all directions or the lung tissue. You should be breathing just as equally through the back of your ribs, your spine, as you are in the front of the chest. Now, we're grown adults and we don't really think about breath as a 360 degree. Even the top part of your lungs expand, your shoulders will rise, your pelvis should flare out. Again, not necessarily that it's noticeable anymore because we've assimilated a lot of this, but it's still a function that should happen from your first day of birth. When you are looking at breathing, sometimes it's labored. Like if you're running really hard, you have that, <gasps> or you're actually taught those kind of breathing exercises, which I don't understand, especially the the one where you intake through the nose and outtake through the breath or the mouth. I just don't understand what they're trying to achieve there when that's not the way the breathing is. Now, if I think about my breath or I say, take a deep breath, the palate and the mouth rises and then your diaphragm drops. And then if I go into smoker's bath straw, you know, more of a suck breath that, and it hits back. Well, that's where you get more of the barrel chest. The barrel chest is not optimal in many reasons because you're not exercising any of the rib cavities and therefore you're not pulling on the sac of the heart and massaging the heart at the same time. And eventually, as your mom says, don't make that face, it'll stay that way. Well, that's what happens to a lot of people's lungs. And that's what emphysema really is, is you get a barrel chest and then the diaphragm can't work off this vacuum. For this, I really like the work of Victor Schauberger. Uh, I don't think he was given a lot of attention or people understood his significance and, and what he plays in science, but he talks about water vortexing and the draws of the water. He was a park ranger of some sort in Austria. Um, and then he didn't want to dig deep canals and ruin the forest. He wanted to use, he used rocks and different avenues of creating the force vectors and drawing the logs down without going into the laborious canals and just be more efficient for the forest and for getting the logs down. Very similar to how we breathe. Our tributaries, our bronchial, it, it keeps breaking down in branches, but these branches, in a sense, are required to draw the oxygen down low into or the air into your lungs. This is why we don't have just big open sacs coming into our system. And then obviously, then there's more avenues to get into the blood and and the efficiency that way. But when that draw is off, that's where we have to think about it. One of the first places that it can be off is the relationship of the hyoid bone, which is underneath the tongue in the jaw. It's the only floating bone that we have supposedly, but in a sense, all our bones float. They're none of them are exposed or not connected to anything. It's a unique feature of our skeletal system, the buoyancy factor within the body. And the bones are there to collect oxygen as needed and float out and float in. The, the hyoid has some regulatories in with the apnoid, in the apnoid cavity. So again, if you were to close your mouth and just breathe, you really should feel your nasal cavity in a sense draw up and you'll feel the hyoid bone draw down. So again, there's, there's different regulators within the breathing functions that if they're thrown off, there's a problem. You see this a lot where there's, let's say, cannulation. So someone's on oxygen support. Not only can it dry out the nasal palate and the soft tissue within the nasal canal, 
but a lot of times the oxygen now is is curved around the ear and cinched right underneath the hyoid bones. So there's a pull even in the maxillaries, which can clamp down that the apnoids and the hyoids don't have that great regulator. So we're looking at those aspects of breath, and now we're going into outer space. So one of the problems you have in outer space is now you're in expansion mode. So the especially the skeletal system and the system mechanics of the human body are going away from the body, meaning uh, uh, fluids are, are intaking into more of the head. It's not going down to the ankles and the extremities. We can look at all that. So just fluid intake around the nasal septum is going to throw off the drag needed within the hyoid um, and epnoid cavity. There's some obvious things going on in outer space, like there's always has to be fans, let's say, around the space stations or so forth, because air won't move in outer space. It's very similar to what's going on with the mass. If you look at some of the mass uh, studies and air intake, when we're breathing naturally, you'll see the rotational flows of the uh, exhale come out. And and you don't see that when you have the mask or let's say if you're doing heavy exercising and so forth, you've got that CO2 intake and it's throwing off your system that way. And you have to watch that. When you are in outer space, same thing, the CO2 can actually uh, accumulate around your head and, and be very dangerous to your system right there. So there's fans in the space station to actually, in a sense, move your breath around. But what they're not looking at is that you, the expansion of your lungs, in a sense, are going into a deadness, right? Almost like you're wearing a mask. So that has to be looked at as what kind of impact that has on volume control but also with the apnoid, hyoid cavities that are there uh, implementations that you can do in an exercise routines to cranial movements that are going to improve not only your circulatory system, but, but your air intake and responses. Because when you're responding, breathing in outer space, then you're responding and not organizing in opposition to gravity. And this is really true when we're talking about the breath, right? This is where people become very weak very quickly because it's not affecting the tonus within the muscle structures because the muscles aren't getting that force regulator that's coming or should come from the breath intake and exhale. So that's one aspect. Another thing too is the dust doesn't fall because of gravity. So especially in in planetary base or lunar base that we know of, we haven't dealt with Mars yet, but the dust in the air, you can actually start breathing in because it hovers. It doesn't settle to the ground per se. We don't breathe in half the junk that's out there because it actually gravity will take over. And we will intake, especially when it's uh, aerosols. And that's where the aerosols become more dangerous to our system because we can take in the gases, obviously more accessibly into our lung system, but they don't fall because of the, the buoyancy rate differential. But when you're dealing with that volume regulator, right? That whole, again, even right now, if I just say breathe in that, right, you will feel your nose rise. And that really is the eptoid. Now, what goes into the eptoid as well is when I turn my head back and forth, now that should have happened too in, in our early stages of tummy time. One of the things it does is it starts to regulate, but it, it initially articulates your vomer, your nasal septum. And, and like I pointed out in many of my podcasts that there's no peripheral vision in outer space. So now your vomer is shut down. So not only you're not getting the rise and fall of the epnoid cavity within the nasal facial structure, you're also not getting that side to side articulation and peripheral through the vomer, which then affects your, your vision and other things like that. 
And these come into play and really, again, should be, in a sense, exercise. These functional movements are really easy to access. I mean, it's a lot of the stuff that I work on with my clinic, but I'm working with people that have issues regulating these processes. Let's say I have a little child in right now that I'm working with with has SMA, but she has a BiPAP system since she was just a baby. So you can already see within the maxillaries, the intermaxillaries, the nasals, lacrimals, that there are structural deviations that are occurring due to just the force of the BiPAP against the system because her air intake is different than a healthier nervous system that in a sense would keep the face puffed out, right? And I see this all the time when kids have been um, intubated uh, a certain ways or let's say cannulation, like I mentioned, NG tubes, tagoderms within the face, that these, these types of structural movements aren't coming into play. So we're not getting that, that uh, uh, what we talk about with running. And matter of fact, too, one of the things that I always note, too, you shouldn't hear a baby breathe. You shouldn't hear that huff or puff, I'll blow your house down kind of thing, because they're not running marathons. I mean, we, we have ways of our breath. But I also know when someone's very mentally unstable or having a lot of problems, because when the emotions arise, and it doesn't take much, depending on where they start saying, okay, just breathe, or that kind of thing, where they have to stop a bit, because you should be able to be pretty darn stressed out like a fireman, and not have to go to respiratory-based articulation. I get it that you can learn it. It's possible. But when someone starts thinking that their breathing is is a force to be reckoned with um, at a conscious level, that takes away their ability since it's no longer at a non-conscious level, it takes away a lot of abilities for them to function or let's say run companies or run, run their position at work. And so you really have to watch that kind of, uh, you know, I, I have that uh, and it starts to escalate into, uh, you know, again, wanting to be heard, but doing it through the breath. There are different ways to, again, you see this and it seems obvious but at the same time, when those kind of motions have to go into play in the space station, we're now taking away from tasks that need to be planned because, again, they're just not used to exercising with, or I should say, moving with that kind of breath. Because that's what I'm talking about, what's in the breath. And that's why you can't have a general blanket statement. It all depends on how the person you're working with is organizing their breath in space or in, in on earth, on gravity, it makes a big difference. So these things that we need to learn from working with the astronauts, but also working with football players, working with baseball players. You know, I, I roller skate a lot. And let me tell you, you know, when I'm, I'm getting into it and I've got a good bounce going and you've got the mask on at some point, you know, I just, I just have to stop and, and, and take, take the, take the mask off or, or go for a drink per se and, and let that try to regulate, but that's not something I can regulate in a couple of breaths. It's not about taking a deep breath. Now I have too much CO2 in my system and I actually have to air it out in that sense and recirculate. But again, when you're conscious about it, that's one thing. But when you're not conscious about that, your system is in trouble. These are where we have to look at it. And it all depends on, too, who you're working with. If you're not familiar with breath, you're not going to look to see if there's necessarily a problem. But I, I work with breath probably 98% of my, my clinic time because I have to make sure that's the first thing. It has to be at a non-conscious level and it just has to be more stable. 
I'll be talking about this more in my other podcast, a baby movement. So I'm going to try and keep some of the podcasts on the similar topics per week, but cover them from different angles. But when an infant has issues with the way that they breathe, now their system is, in a sense, not organizing properly against gravity. And then those complications compound, usually without a therapy being involved somewhere in that child's life, they're going to have issues with vertical milestones. Not because of tone, but the breath needs to be looked at way more seriously. Same thing, too, with even with an astronaut that comes back from space. What is their respiratory rate? Do they have the power in their breath? But it, breath, again, is not a muscle-based function. You really have to look at skeletal articulation, especially within the facial and the cranial area, uh, in the nasal septum, even in the ears, the mastoid cell processing. The mastoid cells are, are quite... Uh, underlooked part of the system because they go into the bones just your, like your frontal sinuses. And again, when the pressures have been off and then back on again, this too will have uh, an impact on the draw or the volume that you have in breath because the breath, again, like I said, your spine has to breathe. And, and that counter is in the back of the skull. And I believe the mastoid cells pick up a lot of that, that, that counter movement that needs to take place. When you are looking at the way you breathe, take a moment and realize that when you go to sleep, your breath is different. Now, again, when an astronaut goes to sleep, their sleep is different, right? So this is a big difference here. I go to sleep. When I go to sleep, I lay down and my system, in a sense, starts organizing into that subcoming to gravity. I lie there. My rotational movements and my oppositional movements start to diminish gravity in a sense, gets heavier and gravity gives me that that security blanket in a sense, but my system goes into its natural change during sleep. This is really important while we're going into REM and other functions of cortisol productions and so forth that happen during the night that won't necessarily happen during the day. And our system regulates, goes into these positions and goes out of it. Now in outer space, there is no lying down in that sense because I'm never succumbing to gravity. I can go in a static pose, right? That looks like I'm lying down, but my system is not lying down. The absolute horizon within the, the my body is really getting messed with and my system is lying down. So one of the biggest or probably the most commonly prescribed medication in space is sleeping medication. You also have more involvement, the crews going around doing projects 24 hours a day and you don't necessarily have that privacy, but still, it, you're not lying down. You lose all your developmental milestones in outer space, including lying down being a milestone. And if you don't think it's a milestone, look at a child with hypotonia or hypertonia, risk at cerebral palsy, let's say, or where genetics where the ground is elusive, you know, and a baby can't lay down, a baby that's swaddled too much. These are all complications that can come from really overlook simple milestones, especially once in breathing. And breathing is a milestone and not a reflex, right? If you can manipulate something like that, then it's not a reflex. It's not the way it starts. The way breathing starts, again, I'll be covering in my baby movements class and not here, but I have covered it in other podcasts too, so I don't want to be super redundant. When you're now giving someone sleeping medications, now how is that going to affect their breathing? Right. So that has to be looked at again in representation to 
the draw the lungs in outer space as well as being in, in static functions. Nothing should be done to restrict or put compression-based suits around breathing because we do not breathe in a compressive manner. We breathe in, again, a volume-based manner. So even with special needs kids or someone like that where the therapy suits are put applied to them, um, they can really have respiratory complications and speech complications because they're not used to forcing their lungs out in breath. There's a lot of other devices that can be put on. Even an astronaut's suit has to be taken to care that in space, which is different than the responses to a, a, like, let's say you get fitted on Earth. That doesn't mean that that suit fits you in outer space and really needs to be looked at. I hope you find all these discussions in gravity movement interesting. If you want more of that on a daily basis, I have a private group, Gravity and Movement. If you really want to understand all the theories that I have in gravity, please, you can't get to Mars without me, the rules of gravity. It's available on Amazon. It is available on Audible. And it's also available on my website if you'd like a physical signed copy. Movement Lesson Academy is where I'm at for everything. Movement Lesson in general is where you're going to find me. Um, I have other groups uh, on Facebook and presences on Facebook but really, I want the discussion to be open as much as possible on gravity and movement. To say that gravity has nothing to do with movement, I hope I'm really giving you some variations on eye-opening techniques that the body needs to move in space. This is Michelle Turner. I can't wait to see you next week. Thank you.